welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Kate, the producer of Pod Rocket. With me today is Michael Chan, formerly known as Chantastic on Twitter and Discord. Michael, how's it going? It's going great. So happy to be here again. Thanks for joining us again. Um, you were on back in November, and we talked about uh, the React podcast. Um, and we talked about like community and Discord and like all the cool stuff happening there. Yeah, that was fun. I was like, oh yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I had fun that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now we're going to be talking about uh, Storybook and Chromatic. Um, we can also talk about community and all the fun stuff too. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe just to start, uh, kind of tell us about your role and um, kind of what, what you've been working on lately. Yeah, so um, in September, uh, I guess like just a little bit before I came on that Pod Rocket episode, uh, I joined the team at Chromatic. Uh, Chromatic is a company that, or is the company who maintains and builds Storybook. And uh, yeah, I joined, and I think technically my role is something like DX community engineer. Honestly, I don't remember. Uh, what that means, I guess, in the abstract is that I help people understand how to utilize and use Storybook. Um, and mostly my part of that is doing that through media. So I have um, a show on the Storybook YouTube channel called uh, Storytime with Chantastic, where I just interview people who know a lot more about me in terms of design systems, front end engineering, um, kind of like what's happening in that space and ask them like, what we should know about building design systems, both like, you know, storybook chromatic and then as an industry, like what we can learn from the stuff that's happening inside of the space, inside frameworks, um, all that kind of stuff. So tons of really cool interviews over there. Like if anyone wants to, is interested more in this stuff, that show's fun. We have, I think like three episodes now and it's just like a monthly interview, super cool, super fun. Um, but yeah, that's mostly what I do, building up some egghead courses to, again, like help engineers understand the value of Storybook as a testing tool. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's effectively what, I'm, effectively what I'm doing these days. I guess that's, you know, one definition of what a DX community engineer uh, means. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yes, do, do, you, do you find that your role... Um, as a DX community engineer, do you think that's that's specific to kind of um, Chromatic's situation where they're like, you know, maintaining this uh, open source tool, like Storybook's open source, right? Um, yeah, so is that, do, do you think, is your role, is your role kind of intrinsically tied to that? Or do you think, you could you see similar roles to your own, you know, like a more traditional proprietary software company? Yeah, that's interesting. So there's there has been some spontaneous evolution at other companies. So a big a good friend of mine, Demetrius Clark, um, over at Netlify now, uh, also joined the Netlify team as a I think like similar if not identical title of like DX community engineer, uh, which I, we had like a pretty good laugh over that because neither of us understood what it meant, um, but we both got jobs like with that thing. And I think it kind of maybe means like we don't know what you do but we want you to keep doing it here, um, which is, I don't know, maybe a good place to be. <laughs> it's like, a, what is it? Like almost that like entrepreneur kind of like mindset. Like, okay, so you, you understand like media and community and, you know, just keeping people like happy and interested. And at one point you programmed. So like the, this is, this is your, your, your bucket now. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like it. Like I kind of like, 
ambiguous spaces uh, as I'm learning. Like I like staring into the fog and then trying to like put shapes together and like figure out what's on the other side. So I don't know. I, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess what, what led me to my question is, I, I feel like that's kind of, you know, a, a pillar of open source in general, right? It's like, oh, well, we'll have like this organic community built around it, like the thing will yeah. advertise itself, and we'll have like involvement with all these people and everything will be very transparent. So like, do you think about that a lot in, in this role? you are like figuring out, like, like trying to discern those those shapes in the fog. Does, does uh, you know, Storybook being open source, like kind of help you in that regard? Or do, you have to, do you have to keep that in mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Chromatic has a really fun DX team right now. It's, it, I, Chromatic is not a big company. I think as of this episode, we're at about like 24 people. And like just a few weeks ago, it was like 18. So super small company doing a lot of stuff. Um, five of us are on the, the DX team. And it's been really fun because every everyone on that team has a different specialty, whether it be like, you know, documentation or a community organization or um, kind of like big product releases that that kind of like garner interest in the storybook ecosystem. And so it's been really fun to see everybody specialize. And because it's a small team, we kind of like go out as far on our interests as possible. Um, and yeah, I think that there is I'm less involved in that piece of it. But I think that there is this really interesting separation in a lot of these startups today, where it's like you have the open source part of it, which kind of belongs exclusively to the community. And then you have like the business side of it, which, you know, supports the open source stuff, but maybe it's less exciting to the general you know, population that, you know, there's this service that you pay money for and like does a thing than the thing that's free and you can install and unlock some new capability in your application. Um, and it's a really interesting, I've never been close to like startup culture at all before this. And so it is really interesting to see that, that thing that you're talking about, the like kind of open source marketing funnel for like a service that businesses actually take part of. It's like really interesting because it's like, it's, it's like B2B, but then there's this like kind of like human layer in the middle where like the developers are actually making the decision. And so like you have to meet the developers like where they're at by being a developer who like talks about the open source stuff. It's, it, it's truly fascinating. This kind of like, kind of, like uh, like judo kind of thing where it's like we can't just like be b2b because like engineers hate having used tools that were just mandated from the top down so we have to like kind of catch them on the engineering side and then like have those decisions like filter up through the company yeah so like we, we kind of feel that we feel that energy here as well as log rocket like always going for the human element of engineering right but like but you know, it is is like a B two B product kind of at its core. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was curious about like that kind of having that open source angle there. I feel like that tugs at the heartstrings of a lot of a lot of devs just inherently, right? People that are excited about it. Yeah, and I think um, it it challenges us too, right? Because you know something that's happening right now is that like technically is that Vite as a like ES module builder is taking off in mindshare right now in terms of like what what companies actually use to deliver software right now like the the vast majority of it if you're building a front-end app is webpack um 
but there's so much excitement and hype over like the like that's the 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 next thing that's the next thing that's gonna like you know come up but like that's very like engineering led and so it's really cool because like we get to kind of see those things try to adapt to them and build a better product that's a little bit more agnostic of some of those tools and um, i think that's the thing that's really fun about open source is, is that you can find a lot of people who are really excited about helping you with that so you don't have to be an expert like n none of us are experts in this you know new tool yet um but we can actually like utilize like other people's excitement to kind of like help other people in the community and that's one thing i really love about open source in general and like any part of your platform that you can open source um is great because you can even if you don't take open source contributions being able to just share what you're working on to someone else who like is not in your company and doesn't have authorization to your github repos and all that stuff is just makes the conversation so much easier and i feel like it's almost always helpful on both ends um you know people seeing legitimate problems in real production apps and then also people helping out with knowledge that they have and I don't know. It's, it's it's a very virtuous kind of fun thing right now, and I like it. I I like this collaborative space we're in. Nice. Yeah. I feel I feel like something in uh, something about like the development tool chain in particular. So it's just like people are excited about it. Uh, like back to your Vite example, it's like everyone wants to use the hot new thing. Like you know, everybody's <laughs> like they install it once they do it, and it's like oh, this is this is amazing. Like this blows away. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to be fifty percent more productive now. Um, <laughs> But then you know you gotta like okay now how do I get my giant my giant company's tool chain all switched over we gotta we've gotta commit yes. like you know 160 hours of resources to getting any like the first project switched over how do we even begin um, yeah so that's an interesting dichotomy for sure um, I guess maybe to take sure. a step back and frame frame everything a little bit more yeah Should, let's talk about Storybook more specifically for those that aren't familiar like what is Storybook how does it compare to other tools in its space and what is it what is it trying to do. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. It's um, Storybook is so many things, and we're actually just kind of unlocking a handful of features that I think would change what it means to people. And I know that sounds super abstract, so I'm gonna like kind of like dive into that. Effectively, Storybook, as um, my friend Brad Frost describes it, is a front-end workshop environment, and he's had this term kind of like indifferent to Storybook, um, but I really like it because. The notion is that you have a space that you can work on front-end components, front-end UI, all that kind of stuff that's completely dedicated to you as a front-end engineer. And I think we've all had that experience in monolithic applications. So I came from a Rails background. In a monolithic app, you have to run the entire, you're, you're building front-ends through the entire application stack effectively. And there are a handful of things that are really irritating about that. Specifically, if I want to uh, test this UI for a certain user type uh, with a certain authorization, I have to actually go into the database, fiddle around with some settings, or have like a you know have fixtures for all of the the permutations of various uh, users that I might have in my application, and. Like there's a lot of fiddling that goes on. And then like maybe I edit my profile inside of a modal. And so I have to you know change the database and then I have to go and I have to navigate to my profile. I click the button that enacts the modal and then I do the thing that I wanted to do. There's like always a lot of steps that we have as front end engineers and it always sucks. And 
that's effectively the problem that Storybook is trying to solve is having a dedicated front-end workspace. It says, hey, now that we have this component model and a lot of things are driven by props, the data that somebody sees is driven by props, the, the um, parts of the UI that they see based on their authorization is driven by props, you know, the, the end state of the modal itself, whether it's you know, an error page or the actual page that you're supposed to see or a loading screen, often driven by props. So how can we separate what we test, the, the things that we want to see, the, the permutations of this component, indifferent to the way the database is set up or the, the connections and whatnot? And um, that's a really powerful thing with components because a lot of this is just like data in and then it renders a thing. And now that we have this really isolated way of showing complex UIs, I think the tools that have existed in the past um, aren't very good at like this particular space. And so I think that um, the, the beauty of something like Storybook is having a place that's kind of isolated from your, your development environment. So you don't have to test things front, like through your development environment. It's just like, hey, with these props, what do you look like, right? In this set in this with like with this mock data what do you look like with this mock user what do you look like um in this like network state what do you look like and it's all driven by props instead of having to like kind of fake all of the environment around you just to see um certain things so that's kind of the the value of storybook i think that it 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 is living in a space where like just like unit testing drops off and before end-to-end -end testing like Cypress begins, um, giving us an environment where we can kind of stress test components from a visual browser um, specific interest. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> nice, nice. But yeah. Are people mainly using it, I guess, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole variety of use cases, but are, are most people using kind of in, through, in the design process as they're building components or, you know, maybe implementing what a designer has handed off? Or, or is it in the testing stack primarily, like where people are finding value? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. And I think that every company handles a little, it a little bit differently. Um, up to this point, Storybook's been extremely popular with the subset of people who are doing component libraries that are an artifact of like a broader design system. Um, so, you know, when you look at, you know, companies like, you know, big companies that have dedicated design system departments, um, I think that is who Storybook has, has resonated with the most because there's a really close mapping. Like when you look at a Storybook and you look at maybe storyboards that exist inside of something like Figma. There's a really close mapping where it's kind of like you, you're seeing all the various permutations in a visual state, and now you're bringing that over to like a codified version of that, where these now exist in code. They have different like things that you can ma manipulate to see like, oh, what does this look like with a long name or a short name or, you know, emoji as a name. Um, and it's something that you can actually manipulate and maintain like in a versioned way uh from a, a code perspective and um yeah and that's uh, it <laughs> it always sucks to have like representation in two places but we we definitely haven't arrived at that place where it's like oh like design and development are a single uh process 
now. And I, as much as I'd like it to be, I think it's been something that I've wanted since, you know, the days of like front page in the, you know, mid nineties, you know, when I started all, like front end development and I don't know, I, I'm not sure it's ever going to happen at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to know. It's hard to know what that'll look like in, you know, however many, or it's hard, it's hard to have that long of view, I guess. Um, I mean, I feel yeah. like it's getting better, right? Like it's getting better. It is. We, we get, we get better results out of Figma now than like we did before out of, you know, some other tools For where sure. just like people were like giving things and we had an image and it's like, okay, go dev, like go dev, figure yes. this out now. Like it's better than that world. <laughs> Um, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I have, I, man, I have absolutely loved Figma. Figma is the design, like kind of design developer handoff tool that I've always wanted. Like the, the fact that you can just like inspect stuff really easily. And like, there's, there's a notion, there's a component notion there as well, makes it really easy to kind of connect these things to, you know, props or whatever your framework of choice you know, uses for that. There's a, there's a natural connection. And I love that logically we're, we're landing on some similar primitives because it makes it a lot easier to talk about, even if that handoff isn't like one-to-one. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you ever see, I mean, uh, this is like a very broad question, but do you think it makes, I don't know if there's, I don't know the correct way to frame this, I guess, but does it, does it seem like it'd be feasible for something like storybook to start reaching into that into that space further it's like well we've already got kind of like the devs the dev side here we can go everything from like props to rendering to figure like running tests on it does it feel like a tool that designers would ever be using or like is there interest in that yeah so i know right now there's a lot of interest on teams Mm -hmm. and i a big part of my job right now is to try and figure out how we can communicate better to developers um, because I think there's so many great tools inside of Storybook that would help with every UI component, you know, on NPM. Right. And so, like, I want to try to get more into that, like, like open source, like, developer type of workflow mindset. The designer thing is a little bit more challenging because I think that there's always going to be some type of tool that's better suited for that UI manipulation part of things. Uh, you know, and, and Figma is really great at this, right? I, I feel like, and I think one of the reasons that has resonated so much with the web community is because, because of its overlap with web concepts, you know? So it's like, even like auto layout, like you can squint and see that that's like a flex box or like a flex container, right? And like. You, you know how to manipulate when you see an auto layout, you're like, oh, okay, like I know how to like actually like codify this up. And I think that there's something like really beautiful about that. Whether or not like I've tr- I, like I've looked at so many things that actually like take that and put that into code. And I think unfortunately, there's just always going to be a growing number of concerns that can't easily be represented in a UI tool like Figma. Um, I think specifically like accessibility, it's such a, it's something that we're all learning and like getting better at, but it's very much a page by page, component by component kind of thing. And I'm not sure how you would abstract that in something like a Figma that without just making Figma like also a code editor. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, beyond just like the CSS and stuff that you're doing there already. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like in terms of the interface of a component, 
I, I'm just not sure that, like, even if you could provide that, it seems like I would be weary of that actually committing code in a way that is going to maintain the flexibility that is required from front-end developers to actually construct a page that's, that's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a super tricky problem for sure. Um, so I guess w- with that in mind, what what process have you found works the best kind of in your experience when, when you know, you're, you're spinning up a new um, user interface for or a team is going out to spin up a new user yeah. interface? Like, do, do you start do you start by like trying to think of like the small components like this is what we're going to have buttons look like? Or do you start big and work your way down? Or do you start small and work your way out? That's such a great question, too. I love that. Yeah, yeah. so we have this concept of component driven design. And uh, we may talk about that a little bit more. But the up to this point, that concept has been really like addressed to teams who have some kind of like component library design system, like team. So like big companies, basically. Um, but I mean, as engineers, that's not really the way that we work typically. Like if I'm going to go make a new page, I'm going to make a new app, I'm going to make a new, I don't know, whatever. I usually start from the like the biggest thing and then just kind of like chisel it out, like get it working, right? I don't even like one component i like make one file and like this is the new page or like whatever and then go from there um and i hope that you know over the next like handful of months this year 2022 that we get that we develop a better story for for that so i think you know you'd mentioned that kind of like outside in you know big to small small to big kind of thing and we're starting to think about it a little bit more in terms of the complexity that you need to represent I think there's something really interesting about the kind of progressive nature of building a full page and then shipping that and then kind of looking over it and thinking, okay, what can and should be pulled out of this, whether that's to be shared or if it's just to document the full complexity of the thing that that represents. Because you can have, I mean, it's amazing, like just, just the reality of posting someone's name to the screen has so much complexity to it you know whether it's a a long name and if that breaks layout or if it's short name or like i said earlier like maybe they just put a single emoji um maybe it's non-latin characters or you have to support right to left there's so much complexity that you need to be able to like visualize and test um in a way that's like repeatable revisitable um that has nothing to do with the the idea of sharing that component, right? Like, yeah, sure, like sharing it's great, but like also testing it in isolation allows us to create a catalog of the things that we know that we support and be able to like revisit that when like new criteria come and we realize, oh, like we had a a lossy picture of what this thing is. And so, yes, from that, like kind of like, I guess I guess that would be more like a top down or like outside in approach. Um, I don't think that we've talked about it enough, but I really do hope that you know we can get better about talking about that because I think that that's where a lot of like developers, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, indie hackers, where they live, not that whole like yeah, let's spend a year and you know millions of dollars building a design system that's designed for perfect reuse and shareability so that everyone doesn't have to worry about making these tiny little components. Um, that is a big company problem. <laughs> and right. we see Storybook as like, if you have components, you should be able to use Storybook and be better off for it. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So like, like, are people using, I guess, yeah, these smaller companies then that have already decided, hey, we're going to use some existing design system or component library or whatever, right? Like, we're going to have someone else that's got time and energy to figure all these, like, hard problems out that we're just, like, we're trying to build functionality. We want it to look yeah. good, but we don't have the resources to do it. Are there, are there companies doing that with Storybook where they're, you know, using some component library that's doing a lot of that legwork for them, but then kind of having Storybook help bridge the gap of, like, well, now we're in UX territory, right? Like, our app has to be yeah. usable, but we are not doing like super low level stuff here. Yeah. So if I understand that correctly, the question correctly, I do. Yeah, we, we're developing an answer for that. So um, uh, there's two things that are actually really cool right now. Um, just a couple months ago, uh, we released a component encyclopedia. So it was um, a, a friend on the DX team, Kyle Gatch, and um, a, a bunch of people on the engineering staff. Um, that that created an encyclopedia of a handful of I think I mean you can go it's on the storybook.js.org site um, and so there's this really cool encyclopedia that that shows a lot of public storybooks um, that people have created so things from you know Shopify and Audi and you know GitHub and all that kind of stuff um, and. So, th so there's that. We don't have a lot of stuff up there yet. Like we're we're continually adding um, to to include more things. Like I think things that would be more beneficial to, you know, indie developers would be a storybook for um, like Chakra UI uh, or MUI and showing those because I think those are things that people kind of pull off the shelf and say like, okay, I'm going to make an app and I'm going to use this thing. Um, if you do decide to do that, and there's a storybook available for the framework that you choose, we have this really awesome feature. It's one of my favorite things, and most people don't know about it. Uh, it's called Storybook Composition, and it's a way to have in your sidebar full storybook libraries added to your your thing. So you could have. Um, so you have your storybook and all the stories that you're doing for your pages and your components and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then you can also include the like Chakra UI storybook inside of there with all of its documentation, et cetera, pinned to the specific version that you use. And now that's part of your documentation as a, you know, a, a small team. Uh, it's one of my favorite features. It's it, it's super cool. I think it's e also handy even if you have even for big companies where you have like a core UI library, but then this team focuses on like the, the the ads UI and this team focuses on whatever because now you can every each team can have their own storybook and just include the the version documentation for the core UI library that they're using. Um, yeah, I think that again, uh, something that we're getting uh, a story that we're getting better at at telling. But yeah, I think that there is a lot of um, there's a lot of cool things that you can do if you want to just pull off one of those you know UI libraries right off the shelf, which I think is a really good idea if you're starting or have like a small um, company, um, and then not even think about the design system thing at all, except for your more composed views like you know pages and modals and components that actually apply to like your specific domain right right yeah yeah that makes sense uh, I, yeah I just, I just feel like you know uh kind of, kind of riffing off what you said before of, like displaying a username is hard like there are such <laughs> tricky problems out there that most little shops <laughs> do not have time to like get super super in the weeds on a design system um yeah i think a little bit ago you mentioned uh component driven development 
can you like what can you talk about that a little more? What does that what does that mean? Yeah, so the way I see component driven development is is again like on that continuum of testing things that someone needs to concern a front end engineer needs to concern themselves with. You know, on one side you have something like unit tests, which are going to uh, just like test like with these inputs, I get these outputs. Now that falls short somewhere on the UI side. So like if you think about Jest, I know that there's like a concept of snapshotting things in Jest where you can render a component and it's going to show you the like output to the browser. So effectively the markup, I guess, uh, which isn't particularly useful. I mean, I guess it is kind of useful as a backstop to be like, oh, this component didn't render at all, or it rendered markedly different from like what we expected before. But in terms of like whether or not that actually is going to render in a browser or render in one of your target browsers, it's like, who knows? <laughs> so there's there's this big cliff right there. And up to this point, it's really just been like, I guess the on from the other end is like end-to-end -end testing where you have to test your whole application you know, before every test, you have to set up a whole like login routine for various, you know, user types and authorizations and whatever. And then like once they're logged in, then you can run, you know, you know, various states or whatnot. And I find those tests like really painful and brittle to write, but like absolutely necessary. Um, but for me, it's like, <laughs> like for me, it's like uh, if I'm going to write them at all, it's basically uh, can uh, any user log in can they pay me money <laughs> and like maybe basic CRUD operations on like the major like domain of the app. So if you're like a to-do list app, can I create, edit and delete a to-do? But like after that, it's like, I don't like, I'm done. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can come up with infinite permutations. It's just like, well, the five things yeah. are done. Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so like, I think that those are kind of like the extremes of our testing. And what we think is sitting in the middle is this idea of component driven testing, which is, hey, you have the components, you're testing them as a developer through the browser. Um, and so we wanna give you tools that allow you to do that job more effectively. So instead of creating a UI and then grabbing the, the corner of the browser and then like moving it back and forth to see if you if your site is responsive in the ways that you expect like we'll give you a tool for actually representing that ui with various breakpoints that you know you support and so you can see the whole thing like up front every time so you make a change you see it across all of them like cool um being able to like being able to do things like that feels like we don't have a good domain for that Right? Like, I don't even know how I would, like, I know it's possible to do an end-to-end -end testing, but as you said, there's so many permutations. Like, I don't want to write a test for all of those things. Um, and then I don't want to do it manually either, right? Like, having to turn the network off in my Chrome DevTools to test that this modal shows a 404 or, like, a 500 or right. whatever. I, I guess it wouldn't be either of those some type of error that isn't either of those errors. Yeah, yeah, whatever, <laughs> but, whatever, however you expect your app to break, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. however I expect my app to break, I can create things for that that I can see all the time, right? Instead of having to kind of like poke and prod and pry at my my UI. Um, and I really, I really like that. I think it's a, a really interesting space where you can capture a lot of complexity using a browser 
without having to have a full command over that browser. And then also not assuming that other people are going to be able to or capable of running through that entire gauntlet every time they add a feature. Um, being able to, to create stories for those and just to be able to look at it and be like, oh yeah, no, we have considered the 400, uh, the you know, the 404 versus the 500 versus the like, you know, never ends up loading states. And um, I think that is a really powerful thing that we're really just at the at the the beginning of. I think that we, as you know, UI front end engineers, um, use fairly primitive primitive tools at this point, and so we're trying to just kind of elevate the the repeatability of our, you know, pawing and pro poking and prodding. <laughs> right, right. So, so just to help me close the loop a little bit mentally. So yeah. before you were saying like, you know, you'd, you'd make a tweak to your list component or something, and then you got to like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the old school way to like, you'd grab your browser corner and like try it in all these heights and widths and try to <laughs> yeah. make sure everything works. How, like how, how specifically is this kind of this way of thinking and, and, and using tooling like Storybook? How does it help me not have to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you can do is so so the a big part of the idea is is that if you one of the beauties of components is is that there's a lot of complexity inside them, but but the interface for that is props. And so we with the component, we have this way of kind of creating or, or like I don't want to say forcing, but like artificially creating an environment that doesn't necessarily have to be recreated, right? Because the interface is just props. Like we don't need a component that knows that we're using Redux and that Redux store goes, you know, and fetches information from this API in this way. We can just say like, this is your information. And Storybook allows us to create a story for an indefinite amount of states. So instead of thinking about things in terms of like all of the connective tissue, we're just like, hey, we know that like an authorized user would see it this way. We're just going to give it the data for this, like if they got this request and so that we can see this. And we're going to make, we're going to like, because it's so important that we see it in these various um, kind of like widths or whatever, we're going to make stories for those as well, where we see it at the like mobile width, the middle width and the big width. And so like the more stories you make, the more, you have this kind of lens outside of outside of time, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, and one of the ways that I think about like component-driven development as being different from some of these other type of testing tools is there's been a lot of talk, like in the Marvel universe in particular, about like multiverse, right? And so, like you know, with you know you know, Spider-Man and the, uh, what is it, Doctor Strange and like all that overlap that's happening right now. There's a lot of this idea of these these things that are just kind of um, true in parallel, I guess, right? They're like, fract like fractured realities. And when I think about Storybook, I think about it as a tool for capturing some of those fractured realities. So I can see... I can see like multiple dimensions of a thing. So I can see what, you know, the Miles Morales profile looks like on mobile, like with all of Miles Morales's permissions. But then I can see also like what, you know, Peter B. Parker 
that profile looks like at desktop size with all of their permissions. And it's like it's kind of it's kind of fun when you like think about it like from this perspective of you know almost like a um, minority report type of thing where you just kind of like <laughs> see like the full the full picture of, of of everything indifferent to kind of what state something is in and it unlocks for me like just a different way of thinking of like oh okay like if there is a if there's a possible ui state i can add it to storybook and then capture that as a concern for myself in the future and every other developer on my team, which I think hasn't been the case up to this point, right? Because it's like, I might do a really thorough job of making sure that my components are tested for all the various breakpoints and all the different authorizations and user types and all that kind of stuff. But like, that, there's no guarantee that someone else does the same thing. And like, maybe I like go into Notion and I'm like, hey, if you really want to be thorough about updating this UI, like here are the like, you know, 170 criteria that it needs to pass in yeah, order for, right, right. yeah. Um, but yeah. instead we just have it visually. It's just like, here, it, this is this is everything that we know. And like, maybe that's a lossy picture of the universe, but if it is, then when we discover a new thing, we're just gonna like, you know, we discover a new Peter Parker, a new Spider-Man, like we just kind of add them to this this gauntlet and then let the machines kind of, you know, tell us whether or not <laughs> we, we, we did it correctly. Yeah, nice, nice. So I guess, I'm not a storybook user, but what currently, I, mean, I keep hearing more and I like all these people are grabbing in and I'm like, I oh, mean, maybe I should be checking this out for like even personal projects. Like this sounds great. But I guess, so how, how do I, how do I, if I, if I add a story for something like what is, what is the pass criteria usually look like? Like, like what is valid? How do I know when I add a new, you know, Miles Morales and it's like, okay, that works yeah. in this state. Like, what does that look like? Oh, uh, all the, uh, all the things that I love talking about. Thank you for uh, <laughs> asking yeah. these. So one thing that's really interesting about UI, and I think another way in which Storybook differentiates itself from the other testing tools, in UI, you are allowed soft exceptions. So if I run a unit test suite, there's no concept of like a soft exception, right? Like it passes as a whole or it fails as a whole, right? And I don't want to merge, like I'm never going to merge something that fails. <laughs> um, and so... What's interesting about UI, though, is is that we can have a we accept a lossy view of what is accurate, I guess, right? So even the name thing, like you know, you, you your first iteration of this component that renders a name maybe does like some kind of uh, juncture of like first and last name, and then you realize like, well, that's a very like Western concept, and so we have to have a more complex idea of how to handle these these fields and represent them you know given you know demographics and regions and whatnot um almost lost my i mean i definitely lost my train of thought <laughs> no, that's okay yeah but like okay. what yeah, yeah. passing criteria like yeah passing know. criteria yeah um so in a lot of cases like w with components like you could then without actually adding any code just put a failing case up there. So you can add a story for like, hey, this is what this looks like now. And it shouldn't look like that. But we want to put it in there for like when we eventually fix the code and this snaps into place and becomes correct. So there, first there's this idea of like soft exceptions in UI, which I, I really like. And I think that we it's a big differentiator between the kind of, you know, 
end-to-end -end and unit testing tools. Um, so we have, we have that as something that we need to consider. Um, Storybook itself doesn't have a like kind of like passing or failing criteria. And so that, that's where Chromatic comes in. For, with Chromatic, you can connect to a storybook. It knows everything about your storybook. And it will take snapshots of uh, visual snapshots of everything you tested or every uh, UI permutation that you have a story for. Uh, it'll make snapshots for all of those um, that you have, and it will do a visual diff, and then I think also like a uh, like a, a code uh, snapshot diff um, of the, you know, assuming that you're on Git or whatnot, um, you it'll do a visual diff of the kind of proposed change versus the last like baseline snapshot that you have accepted, and so as you make changes, like so, so additions are always you know. Additions, you know, you're always going to like, you know, accept, right? But you're going to have these warnings as well saying like, oh, hey, you, you changed this code over here, but then this, you know, permutation of this code in this, you know, in desktop orientation, well, now it looks a little bit different. And you can go through, look at it and say like, oh, yeah, actually, that's what I want. Update the baseline. And then, you know, once, the, once that's good, you have, we have a, a integration with GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket that you'll now see that. PR check goes green and you can merge it. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the that's kind of the criteria right now. You could accept it in like a you know a, a, a kind of like a known exceptional state, you know, if you wanted to, and then kind of see that it fell into place later on when you update it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the one-two punch of Storybook and Chromatic. Storybook's the place where you you like author all of your stories, and then Chromatic is that that CI check that does all of the automatic checking for you. It does uh, automated checking across multiple browsers if you want. Um, so yeah, really cool stuff, which honestly, that was the unlock for me. Like I like I was just like you, I was like, it's like, yeah, storybook, like it's fine. Like whatever, that's cool. I can like, but I mean, I can also just like put a page and like render components like on it, like no big deal. And it's probably faster that way. Um, but when I started getting into uh, browser testing, like specifically, and having to make sure that all of our every component that we built continued to work across all of the browsers. I was like, I am not long for this world if I have to do this every day of my life. And so I just <laughs> that was the day I installed Chromatic and just let the machines do it. I was just like, I just needed to know that they look the same as the last time that I checked them, and if they do, like that's that's good enough for me. <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, I feel like yeah. Again, I'm, I'm 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 making it sound like I'm like I haven't you know been convinced sufficiently yet. But yeah, like we 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 are users here at LogRock and stuff. I just like haven't, nice. I haven't I haven't had the opportunity to touch the front end components since we like started into that into that path. I'm kind of in an isolated role right now. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. Yeah, and I don't I don't I I hope that it doesn't come come off as uh, defensive either. Like because I was like I was seriously the same boat. I was like yeah, like that's that that's cute. Right, it's cute that you have a dedicated space where you can like look at your components. Like, like that's cute. But man, when it came to like time for a thing that I absolutely did not want to do ever again in my entire life, I was like, I'm sold. Like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I think even again, even 
even without the CI/CD component there and like that that first layer of automated checking, like is there any visual diff at all? I just feel like have, yeah. having the tooling in place to make it so even like a manual visual check is like easier and faster to perform is like yeah. hugely beneficial. Um, just in like, you know, you don't, you don't have to have an army of QA that are just like going through these motions every time and like testing all these things. Like, well, no, like yes. here, it's all it's, like that work is kind of done for you already. Like just go like, does this all look right? Um, that is that is huge in and of itself. Um, yeah, and and to that QA thing as well. Like, I don't want anyone at any part of the component development product lifecycle to have to repeatedly do something every single time, <laughs> right? Like, what a huge waste of effort, right? Like, I would love you know for that that specialty to like be able to figure out new ways in which our application breaks instead of just testing the like 500 ways we know that it could possibly break <laughs> and so that's one thing that I, I feel like that is a really great tie-in because now you can take those failures and 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 now incorporate them into your your like test suite you know even if they're like soft like oh hey we we actually have a lot of people asking about this type of support of names, um, can we put some condition or not conditions, can we put some uh, like cases in there so that we can, you know, see what it looks like now, but then know that it changed when it changed. And um, I think it just makes like a more uh, uh, integrated um, kind of like feature lifecycle across the board, which I, I like. I mean, I, I don't think that like if there's something that we know enough that it's just like a process that someone has to do the same way every time. Like it should just, we should just have a robot do that. Like that's what <laughs> robots are for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Have you, have you found um, like QA teams to be storybook users? Is that, is that like a, a demographic you guys kind of target at all? That's a good question. We, um, you know, I don't know. I know that a lot of like at my last job, there was an overlap of, um, you know, QA and then some of the like, I can't even remember what the there's a tool for kind of like browser testing and you can actually like record scripts and whatnot i've oh, used a couple of them i'm I, you know there's yeah there. there's so many yeah one of those oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um so yeah i haven't actually heard a lot with storybook but again we, we focused we have up to this point focused mostly on like design uh systems teams gotcha. and so i think that as we focus more into uh into communicating for engineers and feature work, I think that we'll naturally have a little bit more um, kind of inclusion in the like the development feature product uh, space. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Awesome, I guess you mentioned a little bit briefly like the kind of having that, that first CI CD check of like image diffing and stuff that uh, Chromatic can kind of, you know, supercharge storybook with. Is there anything else, anything else cool that Chromatic is doing currently that's exciting or on the horizon uh, that kind of yeah, so I think um, you know, Chromatic is 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 a lot of things. You know, so the visual regression testing and um, you know, you know, across browsers and, and, and the code diffing or the output diffing um, is all stuff that you you know get access to, and it's it's super great. Um, but it's actually kind of built out as a collaboration platform, and so it's really it, it's really nice to have a place where people can communicate without having to go to the github issue so that's something that i've noticed on a lot of my teams is you know engineering has this full conversation on the github issue and how do 
kind of strict designers or stakeholders or managers like speak into that process um, when really the thing that they're reviewing is more of a visual thing. And so Chromatic solves that prob um, problem as well, giving people a place to have that conversation, kind of drop pins and say like, hey, is this what we you know expected for this thing? Have those conversations um, in a way that ties into CI, um, but in a way that that person never has to actually like log into GitHub and talk about an issue in reviewing code. Gotcha. Um, cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That part is is um, really cool and a huge kind of benefit once you start integrating that into your life cycle. Nice, nice. Um, I guess yeah. Any anything else uh, like on a on a more personal level you're excited about coming up? Anything you want to plug? Yeah. Oh man, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think honestly, so I mentioned at the top of the show, but um, something I'm doing right now is uh, with. Storybook is uh, Storytime with Chantastic. It's on the Storybook YouTube page. So youtube.com slash storybookjs or slash c slash storybookjs, however you get to channels. Um, <laughs> and that's been super fun. Um, I really enjoyed talking with people. Uh, I got to talk with Brad Frost. That was the first episode. We talked about the front end workshop environment in the abstract. Super cool. Talked with Ryan Bayhan at Shopify and how to manage design system designer handoffs. Uh, talked with uh, Tom Prestonwerner recently, uh, co-founder of GitHub and so many other things about their new framework, Redwood JS, and how it by default out of the box um, will generate story uh, storybook for your components. Um, and they have this model, like for anybody interested, they have this model called a cell and they, they have a, they use storybook to document the the error loading and like loaded states for you for this concept right out of the box. So generator, it works like right off the bat. All the data is mocked through like, you know, you know, they have like a Prisma like ORM for their various backends and like all the data gets mocked based on the, the Prisma schema. It's like freaking rad. Like this is the like the dream state of like storybook front end web development, like feature development integration. Like totally check it out even if you're not a redwood user like it's it's, it's really interesting inspiration um and yeah personally uh i don't know um i'm i'm kind of in I, i'm kind of figuring out what's next for me on the personal front um i am doing a lot in community so we have a discord community discord.gg slash lunch dev uh, where i hang out a lot just getting to know a lot of people doing cool stuff in the front end space and it's where like a lot of our guests come from <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huge amount of crossover there, which is which is really fun. Um, and then yeah, I'm I'm working on uh, doing some more YouTube stuff uh, on uh, content creation for software engineers, which is kind of a funny intersection, but it's like where I live right now. Uh, so yeah, that's YouTube.com/slash/chantastic. Uh, if you if you're interested in that kind of stuff, if you want to learn how to edit or use a camera or like how to make microphones work, like all that kind of stuff. So super fun. And uh, yeah, that's me. Nice. Yeah, your, your lighting your lighting looks great right now. I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> you're killing it. Yeah, if, if you needed a plug, <laughs> you look so good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. We appreciate it. And um, we will certainly see you around. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure.
Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.